We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall, the teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars, and that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. What's up, Rotoviz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. As we mentioned last week, Matt is moving and unavailable, but we have a fantastic guest for tonight's episode. He's the host of the Fits on Fantasy podcast, a contributor at thefootballgirl.com, and an all around good guy. Welcome in, Pat Fitzmorris. How are you doing, Pat? Dave, uh, great. 
great to be on with you after uh, I had you as a guest on my show not too long ago. So uh, love your work, love the work of uh, all the guys at RotoViz. I mean, it's just such a tip-top organization, and uh, I am honored that I've been tapped to replace the great Matt Friedman. <laughs> well, you know, clearly that reflects. Uh, some people might think that that uh, you know is a negative reflection on you, but I can assure everybody out there it is the complete <laughs> opposite. Uh, really, really glad to have you on. Now, there's something that I've talked about before, which is when I see people's obvies on Twitter, they are forever locked into my mind as that character. Uh, so Fantasy Mansion is still his little like green wolf, I think, um, <laughs> for the longest time. Jacob Brick Road is what looks to me like a uh, dolphin, even though it's a polar bear. So to me, you are brawn from Game of Thrones. And what I want to know is what is the trait that you and Braun have the most in common? And I might even be looking a little like Braun these days. I mean, we've got the same reddish brown hair. <laughs> I've got the, the pandemic goatee going these days. So, um, but uh, let's see, uh, most, what trait would we have in common? Well, aside from love of a good drink, that would probably be the first, but uh, as good a, a swordsman as Braun is, he uh, usually tries to diffuse tense situations with humor if he can uh before the metal starts flying so uh and i've kind of been the same way um you know i'm uh more of a quipster than a fighter so um you know i'll, I'll try to talk my way out of something before uh before things get too hairy i love it um also and i didn't put this on the show sheet um you know i think people have been watching a lot of tv given the pandemic a lot of people probably through Game of Thrones. Is there a new show called Dark that I'm unaware of that you have started watching? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, highly recommended. We were looking for something uh, we could watch uh, as a family, our kids. And uh, people hear that like family viewing and are probably horrified if they've been watching Dark. <laughs> but our kids are, are teenagers now. So, um, yeah, it, it's basically any anyone who likes Stranger Things, I think, would dig this. It's, it's not quite as... Uh, it's a little more grown up and it's a German series, actually. So it's in German with subtitles. You can actually set it so that they're speaking English if you prefer. But I know it comes off as a little strange that way to me. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, the weird goings on in a small German town. Um, you know, just a, a lot of mind bending stuff going on in this series. I don't want to give too much of it away, but um you know, we're deep into the first season. There's another season yet to go. And apparently they're coming out with season three very soon. And uh, yeah, I was just playing golf today and I was talking to a friend about it. And, you know, this stranger that we were randomly paired up with was like, hey, are you talking about Dark? Isn't that show amazing? You know, and so apparently it's catching on. And, uh, you know, everyone who's been watching it likes it a lot so far. Highly recommended. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds um, like a great show uh, for me and my, my wife to start watching um, as our next one to move on to. And I, it's interesting, the um, fact that uh, we'll be reading the subtitles. Now, one thing I really like about the German language is the words that they have to describe like very specific, nuanced things. Um, we don't have words for those many times in English. Um, so I, I like I feel like in that kind of zeitgeist, there might be some other elements of that show that I will enjoy perhaps, and then trying to translate it to the subtitles. Yes, they, and they do have uh, so many great words like that. Schadenfreude comes to mind, of course. Yep. 
Yep, definitely. All right. So are you ready to talk some football now? Let's do it, man. All right. So you recently wrote about best ball bargains, and I was happy to see that you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger, a player that uh, Matt and I talked about briefly last week. But you also included two wide receivers that we have not delved into heavily on the show. Could you tell us who they are and what drafters are missing on that's making them such good bargains? Yeah, one was uh, Brashad Perryman and the other was Steven Sims Jr. And, uh, you know, for me, Perryman has been just a guy I've loaded up with in best ball drafts uh, ever since I started doing those back in March. Um, over his last five games last season, Perryman had 25 catches for 506 yards and five touchdowns. And granted, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were hurt for some of those games, but not all of those games. I think. Evans and Godwin both missed the last two games of the year for the Bucs, but uh, they were both active, I believe, in week 12. And then uh, there was one game that Evans played and Godwin didn't. One game Godwin's played and Evans didn't. Point is, Perriman really thrived when he got his chance last December. And he was actually pretty good when he got a chance late in 2018 with the Browns, too, with uh, 10 catches for 259 yards. And that's... 25.9 yards per catch in the last five games of that year. So Perriman has had a couple of Decembers to remember here, and now he gets a chance to be the lead guy for the Jets. Um, and I do think he is going to be the lead guy. It's it's probably fair to wonder whether Denzel Mims will be able to push for a heavy-duty role right away, especially if this is kind of an unconventional offseason and rookies uh, don't get to acclimate themselves to – their new offenses in the usual way because of COVID. Um, and then Jamison Crowder is a, a short area slot receiver. So Perryman could very well be the main man for Sam Darnold downfield and Darnold might be ready to step up in his third season. So that's why I'm a high on, on Perryman, you know, and he always had that great athleticism and speed uh, coming out of college, but just sort of got derailed by injuries his first couple of seasons with the Ravens. Uh, Steven Sims, Another guy who really balled out late last year, um, Washington gave him a chance to be the slot man after they realized that Trey Quinn wasn't any good. And over the final four games, Sims had 20 catches on 36 targets, 230 yards and four touchdowns. An undrafted guy out of Kansas and the athletic measurables aren't real exciting, but Sims is a, a crafty little route runner. And there are a lot of targets available in Washington this year. Yeah. Um, you know, what's funny, as you bring up Brashad Perriman, I actually, when I first started getting in to try to make my way onto writing teams at sites, did a contest, uh, like a writing contest, and it was to pick the, the rookie that was going to make the biggest impact in their rookie season. And I actually wrote about Perriman. There was a fair amount of excitement about him coming out of school. Um, like you said, a speedster out of UCF, good athletic profile also had a father that played in the NFL. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, wasn't able to really get things started early on in, in his career. Um, like you said, there's a lot of room on that Jets depth chart. Now, Sims is a player that we haven't spoken too much about, but I think that you make a really solid point about the fact that there is a lot of opportunity for him to garner in Washington 
And I recently finished my projection process. Uh, I finally have all of my numbers up on the site. And I was surprised to see when I went through and worked through um, my Washington projection, he came up with a pretty sizable amount of that pie. Um, I'm not sure that he's going to be a player that makes an impact on all teams, but I definitely think he's worth taking a look at, especially if we see Dwayne Haskins take a bit of a step forward and this Washington offense. People, to a certain extent, were kind of down on Haskins, but I do think that he ended the season making a marked improvement from when he started. So definitely reason to be excited about them. Now, before we move along, I want to take a quick moment and pause for this week's FFPC stat attack. And today we're talking about Terry McLaurin, who as a rookie posted a weighted opportunity rating of six among wide receivers. So you had the sixth best weighted opportunity rating as a rookie. That's really impressive. He also had three games with more than 20 points open to the season with 60 points in his first three games. However, from week seven to week 13, he averaged just over seven points per game. We're going to talk about him shortly, but as a reminder, the FFPC is the home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we have a number of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. So, Pat, I know that you're a big fan of McLaurin, and obviously, he had a great year one. If you look at other players that produce similar stats in year one, it gives you a list of just absolutely incredible players. But does that stretch of mineral of minimal production that I mentioned scare you at all, especially in the context of the Washington offense? And if he does take a bit of a step back in year two, for you personally, how much would that lower his dynasty stock in your mind? Um, it doesn't really scare me that much, Dave, that little dry stretch he went through. Uh, when you put it, that quiet stretch in a perspective, well, it started in week seven, and Washington played the 49ers that week, and that game was played in a biblical rainstorm, if you recall that one. The 49ers won 9 nothing. Neither team could move the ball, and Washington only attempted 12 passes. I remember people asking me on Twitter that day whether they should start certain guys because of the weather, and I'm kind of a fade-the-weather guy, and... Mm -hmm. uh, Anyone I told to start their <laughs> components of the passing games that day, uh, you know, was probably ready to murder me. Um, yeah, there was no business being done in the passing game. So that was one of them. And then in week eight, Case Keenum gets knocked out with a concussion. Haskins takes over in the second half. McLaurin only gets one target after halftime. And then in the next four games, as you alluded to, Haskins really struggled as he was trying to, you know, catch on to uh, running an NFL offense. So he was averaging what I think it was 165 passing yards in those games and threw only a couple of TD passes. So it was a real barren period for the Washington passing game in general. And McLaurin's numbers really fell off. But uh, as you said, Haskins did show improvement late in the year. Uh, and Danny Kelly of The Ringer actually just wrote a really interesting piece about this, showing how Haskins started to get a better handle on things uh, after the early struggles. And really, Dave, I think that's 
what's kind of holding down the price in McLaurin in redraft this year. People seem to be scared of having a receiver tethered to Haskins. But again, Haskins did start to show life in December after the early struggles. So, uh, you know, maybe that concern is being overstated a bit. So uh, I kind of don't think McLaurin is going to fall off too much. And if he does, um, you know, Washington, if quarterback just doesn't work out for some reason, if if Haskins is terrible this year, uh, you know, they're probably going to be positioned to take someone in next year's draft. Next year is looking like another bumper crop of quarterbacks with uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. So I'm not too worried about McLaurin long term. And, uh, you know, he's been a, a guy I've been aggressively seeking in dynasty leagues. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you bring up a lot of good points there. And then to add on to that, um, as you mentioned, we see weeks 14, 15, and 16 playing with Haskins does come out, have great performances, 16 points against the Packers, uh, 24 against the Eagles, and almost 16 against the Giants. Then you consider the context that you brought up, which is super important of some of those games in that kind of down stretch and it's easy to see why that happened but it does not in any way detract like i said from these matching players that you see when you look for that rookie season like odell beckham you know these real talented receivers so i think that um if he is as talented as these players which it's hard to assume if a player is doing what he did with the quarterback play in washington uh, it's hard to assume that he's not at least pretty talented then there's so much reason to feel good about him looking forward. So sure. I, I'm on the board with you there, and I like him. Another player that I like, and I want to get your take on this because Matt and I have started hyping up Calvin Ridley. We really like him. In my projections, he came out so high, I scaled it back to what seemed a little bit more reasonable. He still came out really high. I look at the range of outcomes app. He does very well. Are Matt and I too high on Ridley. Do we need a voice of reason to step in and bring us back to earth on the Falcons wide receiver too? I guess that depends how high you are on him. Now it's, it's to me, it's slightly counterintuitive to think that the number two receiver on an NFL team can be a number one receiver for fantasy. Um, you know, I, I do think Ridley is one of the few true wide receiver twos in fantasy it seems like there are a ton of wide receiver threes you know about 10 wide receiver ones and not too many true twos and i think ridley might be one um yeah i I was just discussing him with matt kelly uh the aforementioned matt kelly on uh, (laughs) his podcast and i know matt is sort of uh a little bit down on him and i think matt's belief is that you know ridley's got this second percentile burst score he's just not very explosive after the catch so even though he's a good route runner he's going to get open but he's not going to do much damage once he has the ball in his hands and he might be right about that um you know but then again it's not like ridley is a a slow guy i think he was timed with four four something at the the combine and uh you know he's he does have the route running chops um you know and and i suppose in this offense you know, where there's uh, kind of a, I don't know, a bit of a void beyond the big two with Jones and Ridley at receiver. Um, you know, he'll get enough targets. I just don't know if he's going to get the sort of target load that can drive him to a, a 
wide receiver one season. So I don't know. I'm I'm I have noticed the price going up in uh, best ball drafts. So I have not been getting Calvin Ridley very often in these drafts. I'm I'm just not quite willing to pay the price that he's going for right now. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, it's really funny. Um, I believe that one of Fantasy Mansion, uh, who will be coming on to the show later, so I'm looking forward to him, to you know, getting him and Friedman into a fight by manufacturing some type of argument between them. But I know one of his knocks on Ridley is a lack of yards after the catch, which is funny because two seasons ago on the show, we had a big disagreement um about mike evans and chris godwin and friedman was on the evans side godwin or excuse me mansion was on the godwin side and one of the things was he was saying that evans just catches the ball and falls down so i'm not surprised that he's going against ridley but the thing for me is i don't really care how players are getting their fantasy points as long as they are getting fantasy points now in the case of the falcons there's a lot of targets like you said available because there really is not a lot behind jones and ridley so i think it's very realistic he gets to 130 targets um but i can certainly understand your point i do push back though on mansion's reason for disliking him um anyway though you have been playing fantasy football for a long time What's one thing that you really miss from the good old days and one thing that you're glad has gone extinct? I kind of miss the uh, <laughs> the the in-person drafts where guys were walking in with magazines in hand. Just because <laughs> you uh, back then you felt like you had an advantage. If, if these guys are going to glean anything from a magazine at the actual draft, like there was an information advantage there. Um, you know, the information that we take for granted now that's just so ubiquitous uh, was not readily available back in the 90s when I started playing. And um, and for that matter, Dave, in-person drafts, which are all too rare these days. Uh, luckily, I still get to take part in a few of those, but I know some people don't really enjoy the in-person drafts like they used to or, or don't have that opportunity to to see the buddies they used to draft within the 90s so but one thing i definitely do not miss is the uh the newspapers the the pen and paper scoring <laughs> um my god we used to there was a uh, i was in milwaukee back in the 90s and there was a local news station that some smart guy in their sports department noticed that fantasy was really taking off and they had this like fantasy extra show after the Sunday night news where they would show highlights. And then they had a scroll, a stat scroll at the bottom of the screen. And we would record the stat scroll and like play it back so we could score our games. <laughs> my roommates and I for, for that Sunday's games and have some idea about where we stood going into Monday. Uh, yeah. So that's quite the contrast to the live scoring we get now. And uh, I do not miss that at all. That is really, uh, really funny too, especially like just to think about that there, there was a time that fantasy was not this huge industry getting so much attention and such a part of the NFL process for people. Um, 
So when you were playing like back in your college days and you were doing your research, it must have been kind of hard to come up upon, you know, stats and like just getting ready for the season. So how did you do it back then? Yeah, it kind of was. And it was uh, there were a lot of those magazines involved and uh, just, uh, you know, watching a lot of it was just, I mean, talk about the the film grinding. I mean, I guess a lot of it was just watching as much football as you could possibly consume. But of course, then it was really only the network stuff. You uh, you know, whatever was on in, in those two time slots plus the Sunday night game. Um, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much having a huge stat advantage, but I mean, I think just being so obsessive about it and, um, you know, getting information, however I could, newspapers, um, you know, could still go on websites at the time in the 90s and, and go look up out-of-town newspapers and get information on players and stuff. So um, it definitely took more digging. Uh, the advanced stats were not readily available. Obviously, it was just the basic yards per carry, yards per catch. It didn't get too much more advanced than that. So, um, but yeah, there were there were definitely some very unprepared guys in some of those early home leagues. Guys who would, uh, you know, like the the little season preview things that would come attached to a case of beer would be the study guides for some of these guys <laughs> coming to the draft. So. Um, you know, compared to them, uh, I was a font of knowledge, but that didn't necessarily mean I was uh, brimming with information either. <laughs> uh, doing fantasy football research in 56K does not sound like a chore that uh, I would be interested in doing. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, all right. Well, some research that I have been doing recently uh, was was doing... Um, some work on strength of schedule using the kind of advanced methods that we have of looking at strength of schedule in particular for best ball and for fantasy relevant players. Now one can only glean so much information from last season about defenses and how they may control scoring to positions in the coming season. But the NFC North allowed a ton of fantasy points to fantasy relevant wide receivers you are located in the heart of NFC North territory. Who is the non-wide receiver one that you're most excited about heading into the NFL season from an NFC North team? Yeah, and uh, by the way, Dave, I don't think NFC North pass coverage is going to be any tighter this year. Um, so the Lions drafted Jeffrey Akuda number three overall, but they lost Darius Slay. Uh, the Vikings let Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander walk. They're going to be playing, uh, giving a lot of playing time to rookie cornerbacks. So I do like a lot of the number two receivers in this division. And Marvin Jones seems like he's a value in every draft, uh, every best ball draft. I do. Justin Jefferson is is poised to see a decent number of targets as a rookie for the Vikings. I'm even starting to warm up to Alan Lazard a little bit. But the guy I'm really attracted to at current cost is Anthony Miller. So he's been going. Wide receiver 50 in uh, best ball 10s this month. And he is the wide receiver 46 in the expert consensus on fantasy pros. So um, Miller scored seven touchdowns as a rookie in 2018, but didn't get that many yards. He was kind of stuck behind Taylor Gabriel on the depth chart for much of uh, last year too. But when Gabriel got hurt, 
Miller had a five-game stretch late in the year where he was targeted 52 times and had 33 catches for 431 yards and two touchdowns. So basically a 100-catch pace for a third of the season. Um, you know, and, and now he's going to be entrenched as a starter this year. He can play the slot. He can play outside. And he's going to be drawing number two cornerbacks in this uh, shaky division of pass coverage all year. So I like him a lot, um, you know, with, with Allen Robinson drawing the, uh, the number one cover guys for other teams and, and Miller going up against these lesser cornerbacks. I think he's in a real good spot this year. Yeah, well, also when you look at that uh, Chicago Bears depth chart, it's tough to really find players that uh, seem like they could ascend and kind of push him out of that wide receiver two role. Uh, so perhaps not the most exciting name out there, but certainly one worth uh, keeping in the back of your mind in best ball drafts. We're going to take a quick stop for a message from our sponsor, Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and pro bets to check out visit betonline.ag and use promo code blue wire for a free welcome bonus that's one word blue wire bet online your online wagering experts hello folks colin kelly here from rotoviz overtime a podcast i host along with sean siegel welcome along to a rotoviz radio production in just a little moment we'll jump straight into the podcast before we do so i want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener you can save yourself 10 percent of a rotoviz nfl pass right now on the rotoviz.com website it gives you access to all of our content and tools and sets you up perfect for the nfl season all you have to do is add the code 2020 rv radio at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information Mission. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can rate and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, Road of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. So, Pat. My good friend and the man behind a lot of what goes on with the Road of His Pods, Colin Kelly produces your podcast. As we all know, he is across the Atlantic in Ireland. Where's the most interesting place that you have traveled to? Let's see. Well, first of all, Calm is awesome. And uh, I'm embarrassed whenever I have to admit to Calm that I've never been to Ireland yet, which uh, (laughs) considering my heritage is just criminal. Um, Most interesting. Let's see. I mean, most beautiful is probably the Amalfi Coast. Uh, Amsterdam was a pretty interesting city uh, in a lot of ways. And but I've got a special place in my heart for uh St Andrews Scotland. I've been lucky enough to take 3 golf trips to Scotland and uh I love that little town. Um I just can't get enough of it. It's, and not just the golf either. It's just uh you know the pubs. I could walk that little town all day. Everything is just so old. Uh it's a university town. So it's it's really kind of bustling for a, a pretty small place actually and uh i just love saint andrews all right that's amazing um not in that i've been there but 
and I've probably talked about this on here, if I could travel to any place in the world, I would want to go to Scotland just because I find the history of Scotland to be really fascinating. I love, um, you know, all of like the folklore and the different, uh, you know, cultural artifacts that you have in Scotland. And I think that the landscape to me just is so beautiful and so intriguing. It's just a place I would love to go. Uh, so I'm very, very pleased to uh, hear that, um, you know, from people that have actually gone, they like it as much as I envision it being. And it does like the thought of going to those little pubs just seems like it must be such a fascinating trip. Yeah, it is. And and the country is uh, beautiful. I mean, uh, like I've been to the big cities too, Edinburgh and Glasgow. Edinburgh's got to be one of the most underrated major cities in the world. I think it's just phenomenal. And uh, the people are really friendly. Um, you know, I've, I've been, uh, as luck had it, I was there for a couple of uh, European Cup uh, soccer championships. So that, that was going on and there were, you know, the pubs were always packed with people cheering for these games. And, uh, it was always funny to go in when England was playing because every Scot in the place <laughs> was cheering against England, no matter who <laughs> they were playing. Uh, so that was kind of entertaining. Um, so you must be a really good golfer then I'm assuming. No, I'm, I'm pretty mediocre, Dave. Uh, I love it. But I'm actually, uh, you know, you'd think I'd be more competent after all these years of uh, playing, but it hasn't worked out that way. Well, I can assure you that you are a better golfer than me. So what happened is um, my father uh, was convinced by my brother, who's eight years older than me, to start golfing. Um, my dad, gosh, probably a bottom percentile golfer. And what happened was they were so my brother's eight years older than me. We start golfing. I convince them to start letting me go with them. They're playing par three courses. My brother's okay. I start getting pretty good, but I reach the point where I need to start playing real courses. My dad has no interest because it's such an embarrassing experience to go to a real course <laughs> that we would only play par threes. So what happens is time moves along. Eventually, I'm a teenager. I have an absolutely killer game from about 90 to 100 yards out but once you put me on a 200 250 yard hole i cannot function at all so you can rest assured you are a better golfer than i well maybe that's my uh you might have unlocked the key to it i need to play more par three courses because uh, i am my game is <laughs> trash from 100 yards in and uh, the rest of it is okay so that's it only executive courses from here on in <laughs> <laughs> oh nice so um is there a rookie going inside the top 150 or so picks in 2020 drafts that you want absolutely nothing to do with hmm i gotta be honest here dave like there's no one in that range who i'm just completely avoiding that i you know would just refuse at any price um you know i, I do think there's some concerns about, you know, target pressure for some of these guys, especially Jerry, Judy and CD lamb. I mean, are, are these guys going to be able to get the targets they need right away going to places where, you know, Judy has to compete with, uh, Cortland Sutton and Noah offense, CD lamb with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. Um, I, I think maybe the one guy I'm finding a little overpriced though, in drafts is Michael Pittman. Um, you know, it's not that I don't like him as a prospect and, and the landing spot is decent enough in Indianapolis, but I think people are kind of overrating that landing spot. So the price just seems like it's a little higher on him than it should be. I can understand that because 
Pittman, an older prospect, which is a bit of a red flag, a little bit of a reason to be concerned. The profile yes. not quite as strong as some of these other players. And I think the other thing that concerns me a little bit is when I actually start looking through these teams, Philip Rivers comes out as one of my worst quarterbacks in terms of projection. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the receivers uh, always suffer because of that, but it kind of speaks to the fact that um, this resurgence that some people might be expecting in this Colts offense because Rivers is now joining them might not happen. I'm not sold that Philip Rivers coming into Indianapolis really shoots this offense miles ahead. And I think if they do take significant steps ahead, that might come in the ground game via Jonathan Taylor, which doesn't really have a positive impact on Pittman. Yeah, that uh, that's entirely possible. And I, I, I do kind of wonder what that passing game is going to look like with Philip Rivers. I mean, uh, you know, are the, are the backs super involved? And, and I guess that would be, you know, largely Naheem Hines. Um, you know, does does he continue to pepper Jack Doyle with targets since, uh, you know, he threw to his tight end so often, Antonio Gates and, and Hunter Henry in San Diego? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I the one thing it, it seems like people are almost writing off T.Y. Hilton. And I, I just don't know how large a target share there is going to be for Pittman in year one. So you bring up T.Y. Hilton. Um, a veteran. Are there any veterans that you are entirely off of? Let's say maybe not even within the top 150, you know, maybe in the top 200, top 250 picks, just really a player that has been in the league now for a while and you finally reached the point where he's just off of your rosters entirely. Well, um, it's not necessarily a guy who's been making an impact for a long time. It's just a guy who uh, sort of percolated last year raheem mostert i'm sort of down on um and, and i noticed that there's been a, a growing anti-mostert sentiment on twitter <laughs> in the last couple of days um but for good reason i think he's he's only 205 pounds so he's not really built to to handle that big a load he's 28 already so he's kind of uh you know in the twilight years for running backs um you know you wouldn't think of him being that old just kind of popping for the first time in 2019 but yeah 28 is is kind of uh old for running back he doesn't catch passes he ran for a grand total of 759 yards in four seasons at purdue and went undrafted uh i mean god bless him for looking so good last season and you know for trampling my packers in the playoffs but uh <laughs> i'm not touching him this year dave <laughs> I think that's perfectly fair. Uh, so you alluded to the Packers game. I believe it was like 220 yards on the ground, four touchdowns. And that's so easy, or it's so easy for that to sit into people's minds. And, yes. you know, he did have a good back half of the season. But I think what people tend to forget is Tevin Coleman was playing really well before he got injured and went down. Um so while it might seem like this is certainly Mostert's backfield, we're not, we can't be sure the team feels that way. Um, and the other thing, like you mentioned, he's actually been in the league. He's bounced around for a while. He's fairly old. So if we're going to read into his back half of last season as him being the supremely talented player, we probably need to be careful about thinking that um, we might be looking at a situation where it's really just whoever the back is in San Francisco will prosper. Obviously we saw Matt Breida have good stretches at times. So 
I can understand if you're a high volume player, maybe trying to get some Mostert um, into your portfolio. But like you, I think he is a player that drafters really need to be careful about going aggressively after. Maybe if he falls to me, I'll think about taking him. But lots of times, um, I'm going to be looking the other way. So I want to play a little game with you now. I did not think of a nice catchy name for this, so we're going to call it the confidence game. I'm going to list players. I'm going to give you a trio of players, and you let us know which one you are most confident about in 2020 having a prosperous season. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, let's do it. Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, Mike Evans. I've got to go with Devontae Adams, uh, not just trying to be a, a Packer homer here, but, um, <laughs> you know, whereas we talked about Calvin Ridley, uh, you know, so Julio Jones has that strong number two receiver. Uh, Mike Evans has Chris Godwin uh, there with him competing for targets. Uh, the Packers had this screaming need for a wide receiver in the offseason and just inexplicably chose not to pursue one, either through free agency or, uh, you know, even more bafflingly in the draft so uh Devante is just poised for such an enormous season in terms of targets I mean he is just going to be peppered and uh if he can stay healthy all season I think we're going to see some pretty big numbers I really like Adams I really like Jones I mean it's hard not to really like these guys you know as you're talking about that it, it, I, I'm I'm realizing that it, on some level it kind of feels like what we're seeing in Green Bay is almost what happened in New England where you have this exceptional Hall of Fame passer starting to kind of reach the twilight of his career who knows how long Rodgers will play but but you get my point there and the team isn't really surrounding him with weapons and then in the case of the Packers, tor- turns to drafting this younger quarterback. Is that a parallel uh, that, as a Packers fan, you feel is appropriate to draw? Yeah, um, I think it is. I think it is. I'm, I'm not sure if I can expand on that, Dave, but uh, I, I think it's a fair <laughs> parallel. <laughs> yeah, that's well, like it just hit me. It, and it is kind of crazy because you would think that they'd be seeing this window with Rodgers. Um, so it almost makes me wonder, is it, but they, I mean, they were a strong team last season. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, perhaps you can, you know, expand upon that, which is fine. Um, so we can, we can move along unless you have a thought. No, I, I, uh, I could definitely rant for a long time about this. Um, yeah, it's just wild that, um, they chose not to get him any weapons and just like, uh, draft a, a quarterback when they, you know, are are not going to, unless they do have plans to get rid of Rodgers soon, it, it kind of makes no sense to draft this quarterback and then let him sit and really burn up the value of having a quarterback on a rookie contract. I mean, because that's what everyone's after, right? That cheap quarterback, uh, putting yourself into position where you can like spend at other positions and, and really beef up the roster around a good young quarterback well i mean if the good young quarterback is just going to sit on the bench behind a veteran for the first three or four years uh you know there's just no value to it so it was kind of a weird path for the packers to take and uh you know just in this wide receiver rich draft to not come out of there with one was just immensely frustrating for a lot of packer fans including me 
<laughs> yeah, it was certainly perplexing. Um, so w- we can move off of Green Bay before we bring any more frustration to the forefront <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, James Connor, Melvin Gordon, and Todd Gurley, who are you the most confident about? Oh, man, my homerism again bubbles up here with Melvin Gordon, I think, just because <laughs> I, I think he's been um, a little more durable in recent seasons than uh, Connor and Gurley have. Obviously, I'm concerned about the Gurley knee condition, uh, the lack of explosive plays we saw last year. You know, even though he's in a, a really nice position with the Falcons offense, I just wonder if the juice is still going to be there for him. And, um, you know, Connor's dealt with injury problems too. And, uh, you know, they say they want him to be the guy and, and kind of a workhorse there. But, you know, I just wonder, they they brought in Benny Snell last year. They brought in Anthony McFarland Jr. this year. Um, you know, they might have a, some suspicions of their own that, you know, they're not going to be able to give Connor the ball 250 times this year. So, um, I do kind of think that Melvin Gordon is going to be the guy and that it's not going to be a committee with Philip Lindsay and uh, Royce Freeman this year. I, I just think that they got a little frustrated by Lindsay's lack of uh, proficiency in the passing game last year. You would think a smaller, quicker back like that would be good in the passing game, but Lindsay really wasn't. And, um, you know, I, I think they're going to feed Gordon quite a bit in this offense and, uh, they're probably going to run them a lot to try to to make things a bit easier for Drew Locke. So, um, you know, and, and Gordon's kind of, I won't say he's an afterthought in drafts, but, uh, you know, he's a, a guy who I think is going to get the ball a lot yet can be had in the third round or later. So we actually talked a lot last year about how it was interesting that you were seeing games where Royce Freeman was out-targeting Philip Lindsay. So yeah, you're right. I mean, that was a really interesting thing to see. I uh, would have gone with Gordon here as my pick as well. I don't think that in an absolute gangbuster season, Gordon scores as many points as Gurley or Connor would if things broke 100% in their way. But if we're looking at the range of outcomes, I think that Gordon has a higher concentration around what might be his median projection, which is why I probably would go with him as well. Uh, You know, you probably have people knocking him too for not being the most efficient runner at points in his career, but I do see a path to enough opportunity that he's able to overcome it. You also don't have the injury concerns, in my opinion, at least like you do with the other two. Uh, So am I to assume, well, actually, I know this, but for the listeners out there, they may have assumed it. You are a Wisconsin Badger, a graduate of the University of Wisconsin. Yes, that is correct. Nice. Um, So when you were in college, how was the team? Oh, we were terrible. We were terrible. This was the, uh, (laughs) yeah, when early in my college career, the old uh, coach, this guy named Dave McLean, um, died. He had a a heart attack, like running on a treadmill or something in the the spring. And so they had to bring in like a a one-year hire, um, an interim coach, like they promoted one of the assistants. But then they brought in this guy who ran basically the option offense from from Texas, this guy named Don Morton. Mm. And uh, the, the option offense just did not work in the Big Ten in the uh, <laughs> in the late <laughs> 80s and early 90s. So, uh, you know, they just got their heads handed to them. We played the Miami Hurricanes, and this was like the height of, uh, you know, the U. This was Michael Irvin. 
Benny Blades, like these classic Miami Hurricanes teams. Somehow Wisconsin had them in a back-to-back, like a home-and-home series. I think we lost both of those games 56-3 to by the same score. <laughs> and oddly enough, in both games, we scored first. We got the three before the avalanche kicked in. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. And, uh, you know, I was, I was on my way out when Barry Alvarez came in and, uh, you yep. know, Alvarez just completely turned the program around and, and has stayed on as athletic director ever since. And, you know, we've been pretty good, uh, you know, consistently a top 25 team. So yeah, that was a stark contrast to what the team was like in my uh, college days, playing in front of you know half half uh, filled stadiums and and just you know bringing much shame on the uh, good name of the University of Wisconsin at the time. <laughs> well, there's very few things as exciting as uh, at least to me as a Saturday night with that eight eight thirty Big Ten game um, in one of those huge stadiums under the lights. So. I always enjoy watching uh, Wisconsin play in those big games. Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, or Carson Wentz? Oh, man. I know people are going to be screaming at me to say Kyler Murray, and I want to be confident in him. And I I do have him ranked the highest of these guys, but I do have some reservations about just how bad that offensive line seems to Mm -hmm. look. Uh, So I, I think the guy I'm most confident in like returning value on his draft day cost is Carson okay. Wentz. Um, you know, I, I love that they went out and got him speed, speed, more speed at wide receiver. Uh, you know, not just Jalen Rager, but Quez Watkins and uh, what was it? John Hightower. Was he the other one? I think it was. So, um, yep. you know, that that's what he so desperately needed. Uh, Deshaun Jackson comes back. Um, you know, two good tight ends. I think he's in a, a pretty good situation. I, you know, just believe he's a, a good quarterback. Uh, if he can just stay healthy, I think he's going to have a, a strong year. So I actually talked about this last week and uh, named one of the episodes in honor of Carson Wentz, because when I worked through my projections, which, you know, as a reminder to everybody listening, that process only gives me one input in a larger decision-making process. And I try not to get too tied down to them, but I was surprised at how well Wentz came out. And a lot of that has to do with the type of offense that they're running. And I think that he now especially has skilled players around him that will allow him to put up the stats needed to return on that investment. We really liked Murray on the show, but where he's going in drafts, you really need him to come through and not have any hiccups in his second year with the Cardinals. So if Murray takes any step backward or if things don't work out the way that some people are hoping they will with Hopkins, you could be looking at um, a situation where he's not returning on value. And then Josh Allen, I think that there's significant reasons to be que- you know have questions there. So I like that answer. Let's see if we can close off on this list with another agreement between the two of us here. We have Darren Waller, Evan Engram, and Rob Gronkowski. Um, I've got to go Waller just because. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> good. We're, we're on the same page. I like that, yep. Dave. Um, yeah, so with Engram, you know, target competition from three pretty good wide receivers plus Saquon Barkley. 
along with durability questions. Uh, you know, Gronk coming back after the year off, now in his 30s, obviously durability questions even when he was in his 20s. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to still be pretty good, but uh, whether he plays 16 games, I'm not sure I'd be ready to bet on that. Um, you know, and Waller is just in a good spot where uh, not a lot of big names at wide receiver. You know, they brought in Henry Ruggs. They drafted Brian Edwards. Uh, Tyrell Williams is coming back, I guess. Um, you know, just Hunter Renfro. I mean, he is poised to be the number one target in that offense. And uh, But just a little positive touchdown regression for him would go a long way. But, I mean, especially early and maybe even the middle part of last season, he was just having these monster target and catch games like week after week after week. And, um, you know, we could see that again this year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on him. Yeah, I am too. I just think that uh, he's going to have to be such a fixture in that offense, even with them bringing in some new players. They relied on him so heavily last season, and though there's been changes, I think they're still going to need to again. So I'm feeling really optimistic about him. And, you know, there are reasons, like you said, to be worried about Engram and then Gronkowski. Um, I think we'll end up putting together a decent fantasy season, but He's just not going to be the Gronkowski that we knew before and in the confines of that Tampa Bay offense um, probably doesn't need to be more than a guy that might score a lot of touchdowns and kind of get sporadic usage. So while you might want to play him, he's not going to be flirting with that upper echelon of tight ends like Darren Waller will. I had some extra questions on the show sheet and I want to uh, actually stop here for a second because Matt, had derailed our show sheets the last couple of shows and had the audacity to say that I did not put together a nice show sheet. You have been a guest on many pods. You have a pod of your own. You were impressed by this show sheet, were you not? I was, uh, you know, unprovoked. I complimented you on how <laughs> thorough the, the show sheet was and how well thought out it was. And, uh, you know, I just commented on how that just helps the guests so much. And this was an exquisite show sheet, Matt Friedman. So just know oh, that. If excellent. you're listening, right. Matt, apologize to Dave. You owe Dave an apology. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, we, we don't have guests on this show all that often, but I got to be honest, Pat, I think, uh, you know, you started off with that Scotland answer and now you have really just put yourself up into, you know, the elite, elite status. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This, yeah. And this is totally unprompted, Matt. Know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I do have a couple extra questions for you here that I think we have time to squeeze in, but this is the one that I really want to know. And we're going to start with here. At what percentage of his best play is Aaron Rodgers currently operating? So let's say, you know, if you looked at his best season that you think he's had, and that was a hundred percent, where is he at now? Oh yeah. Those uh, boy, if we're comparing him to like circa 2000, what, 11 or so, I would say maybe yep. like 70%. I mean, the, the holy crap throws are still there, but um, it, it seems like he is not as, uh, the, the pocket awareness is not quite what it was in his prime. Um, you know, he's just taking more big hits and, and sort of being oblivious to the pass rush at times. Um, you know, and he's uh, just 
sometimes there are some bad throws and and it seems like he is bypassing easy completions at times to uh you know hunt the deeper throws downfield and just making some unusual decisions so um yeah, it does not seem that he is as sharp as he was back in the you know early part of the decade when he was just you know phenomenal. I mean, playing it at maybe the highest level we've ever seen any quarterback play, including you know, Brady, Montana, Marino. Yeah, yeah. So, as a Packers fan, kind of in that vein, how open are you to them moving on from him? Uh, and that's not even necessarily assuming that you think Jordan Love is the answer. Well, Aaron Rodgers at 70% is still pretty, pretty good. And uh, I, I guess I'm not that open to it. Like, I'd, I'd like to see us ride it out with Rodgers for another two, three years. Um, you know, just because I've we've gotten spoiled, Packer fans have, uh, with, you know, going right from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and, and having those two quarterbacks uh, carry us for so long. So I'm not quite ready to move on yet. And, uh, you know, I th- still think that if uh, the supporting cast is good enough, that Rodgers could still be a super, super Bowl quarterback. Fair enough. Now, Matt and I, I think, have both alluded to the fact that we expect to see some improvement in the Dallas Cowboys offense. We're expecting big things from them in 2020. Are there any teams that you expect to see substantial improvement from as we head into next season? I think the Buccaneers are one that jumps out right away. And, and uh, it, it's not even so much the, the Brady thing for me and the, uh, you know, how good that offense could be, although it'll certainly help that they, you know, won't be turning the ball over as much. Um, I just think they've made improvements with the offensive line and the, the defense just looks really good now. I think they're, yep. they've kind of quietly built this, uh, you know, top, top third, top quarter defense. Um, you know, and that's going to put the offense in some spots where they don't have to be maybe be aggressive with the passing game, take care of the ball better, run the ball a little more and, uh, you know, make maximize Brady's efficiency, I guess. So, um, you know, it just seems like that is a a pretty loaded roster right now. And, uh, you know, even though the Buccaneers odds to win the NFC probably spiked in Vegas to unrealistic levels, like I, I don't think they're a horrible bet. Yeah. I mean, when I look at this team too, I think that's another one that comes to mind of a team that, uh, and, and like you said, it's not so much because of Brady, it's because of other moves the team has made. Uh, and on your show, we talked about a player that was my boy, Keyshawn Vaughn, ends up now in this situation where, you know, since we've talked about it, the more I think about it, what's going to happen is I am not going to have Keyshawn Vaughn on any of my teams and he's going to put up a monster season. So we're hoping, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a contradiction because I want things to work out for Keyshawn Vaughn. I want them to work out for all players. And I want, uh, you know, just to see the analysis that led me to liking him so much play out. So it's a very um, conflicting thing for me this year. Uh, Any major lessons from last season from a fantasy perspective that you're carrying forward to this season? I think that I made mistakes at tight end in a lot of drafts last year going for that sort of middle tier, which was where guys like OJ Howard 
mm. uh, or dwelling, uh, David Njoku, um, you know, and I'm, you can't, I don't know, you can't, uh, use injury cases like Njoku as, as, you know, lessons to learn from, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I just don't think the middle tier of tight end is the right place to shop. So I'm, I'm probably going to be steering clear of, uh, some of those guys probably beyond Darren Waller. Like I'm, I'm not, even though he's, he's been pretty cheap, like Hayden Hurst, uh, you know, if, if I can get him cheaply, great. If he starts going up to like TE 12, uh, I'm out, I'm out on Austin Hooper. I'm out on some of these guys who are going to kind of the mid round tier. Like if I can't get one of the top guys, and I tend not to be super aggressive on the, the Kelsey's and Kittles, but basically yep. if I can't get say, you know, like Ertz, Andrews or Waller, I'm just going to wait and take whatever's left at the end. Uh, you want to let me have Blake Jarwin? Fine. You want to let me have Jonu Smith or, uh, um, boy, Hurst, I mentioned if he's cheap, you know, I, I just do not want to go for that middle tier. Like I'm either going to get my tight end early or I'm going to wait. I actually really like this answer because I think that that was a mistake I made in some leagues too. And I'm not sure that I had come to the conclusion yet that I had made that mistake. But in some respects with those players, it almost feels like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. Um, especially I play in a lot of tight end premium leagues. So it makes it feel to some extent like you're getting this good pick yes. at a onesie position that can make a difference when the odds of it actually doing so are very low. So. Let's get you out of here with the most boring prediction. I know that uh, oftentimes people will close out pause asking for a bold prediction, but um, you know sometimes I think it makes more sense to go with a more boring avenue and get a prediction that might not be exciting, but is worth writing down because the odds of it happening are just so high. So give me a boring prediction of something that isn't super flashy, but shouldn't be overlooked as we prepare for the coming season. Let's go back to the well with Devonte Adams, and I guess it would be too too flashy to predict that he is going to be the wide receiver one in fantasy this year. That would be too exciting. So I'm just going to say that Devonte <laughs> Adams is going to be a top three receiver this year. That's nice. And I safe. love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs> I like it. Um, there's, you know, no reason to overlook Adams. And it's interesting to me that he has become kind of a boring option, I think, for some people. But uh, there's been consistency. There's reasons to see it in that offense. And they're really going to need him to step up. So I like it, Pat. Um, I have really enjoyed talking with you. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting you back on the show at some point. Um, so definitely thank you for coming on. Um, people, of course, they can find you at the football girl. They can find you on Twitter at fit underscore FF anywhere else that they should be looking out for you. Yeah. Uh, that's it. The football girl.com fits underscore FF at fits underscore FF on Twitter. And, uh, you know, look for the fits on fantasy podcast where I have people like Dave and Matt Friedman and other great guests. And, uh, yeah, this has been fun, Dave. Thank you. Uh, very nice to fill in for Matt. Those are big shoes to fill. I've given Matt some <laughs> crap on the show, but uh, you know Matt is a, a great guy. Uh, hopefully, his his move is going well, and uh, you get him back in the big chair next week.
but yeah, well, you. we appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. I should probably say as much as, uh, you know, I will give Matt some crap on the show. I agree with everything you just said. So, um, you know, I always appreciate the fact that I get to talk to him almost every week about fantasy football and often other topics. Thanks again, Pat. That does it for this episode of the show. You can reach us at rotovisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online and the FFPC for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.